Try to learn from it though. I'm gonna lay out some steps for you to make that leap, make that jump. Ever felt like you were stuck in one place? Cause something was putting everything in your way. You want bigger things and even bigger dreams. But some things ain't as easy as it seems. Nah, I spent a long time chasing other people's dreams. I put my goals aside. I said it's for the team. I went around the world and met a bunch of girls. And some things I wouldn't change for the world. But I'd be lying if I said I was really happy. A lot of ups and downs. Some kind of sappy. I did a lot of shit, but it wasn't cause of me. Felt like a fraud, but Olivia supported me. To be real, I was scared to be out there No confidence in the failure I couldn't bear I couldn't measure to the talent that I was around So I had to turn the volume down on my own voice That was my choice Looking like a man, still feeling like a boy Knowing every day I would kill it if I did it But risking my ego, I couldn't live with it But I ain't getting any younger though I'm only 26 Gotta stop playing, start building for some shit And before there ain't no time left I'ma follow these eight steps My name is Evan Narsis. I am 44 years old. I grew up in New York City and its environs um, and re recently moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, what part of New York are you from? Um, so I was born in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn, um, specifically in Borough Park uh, at a hospital called Maimonides Medical Center. Um, and we lived there um, in Brooklyn until I was 10 years old. Then my mom moved us out to the suburbs of Long Island. Um, where I got slowly but surely turned off by the arid, culturally uh, uh, barren um, flatness of the suburbs I lived in. And um, I, I came back to the city um, for New York University where I went to undergrad. And I lived in, in Manhattan a little bit, couch surf with friends in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, and wound up living as an adult in Brooklyn and Manhattan um, uh, before I moved. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a native New Yorker, which I will say to my dying that breath, yeah, you can despite really living it. anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I can claim it. I can claim it. Uh, what was it like growing up between Brooklyn and Long Island? It was weird, man. Like, I have only the vaguest memories of Brooklyn because I was so young. Uh, my siblings remember our youth a lot better than I do. Um, but I remember living in Brooklyn... Um, a bunch of things. Uh, the neighborhood we lived in in Brooklyn at first, well, we moved around a bunch of places. Flatbush was when we were really young. Me and my brother were like probably younger than three or four. My sister was maybe just a little baby. And we lived in Flatbush, which at the time was a traditionally Caribbean enclave. So lots of Haitians, Jamaicans, um, people from Trinidad and Tobago, um, the, the islands. Uh, what I remember was the food and the kind of like musical lilting accents of my mom's friends who weren't necessarily from Haiti, from Jamaica and whatnot. Um, I remember that like that's a very strong memory of mine. Um, and then when we were a little bit older, uh, we moved to Borough Park, which is a um, stronghold of the Hasidic community, ultra-Orthodox Jews. And... Um, I remember one of my strongest memories is up until I was five years old, I thought all white people looked like that because oh, they, wow. they, they rolled so deep in that neighborhood. I was like, all right, this is what just the standard issue white folk look like. 
Um, it wasn't until I went to kindergarten and started meeting other people, I was like, oh, okay, there's different um, kinds of white people. <laughs> um, uh, and I was also a Shabbos Goy for a little bit um, in the neighborhood. And if, if you haven't grown up around ultra-Orthodox Jewish people, um, on Saturdays on the Shabbos, they, they, on the Sabbath, they can't um, do work. And closing an electrical circuit is defined as work. Um, um, there's also certain things like you can't lift something heavier than, like, I don't know, uh, an apple or something. I don't remember. But there's certain prescriptions. And if you're really, you know, holding on to your, the precepts of your faith, you don't do these things. And a Shabbos Goy is a Goyim, a non-Jewish person, who does that stuff for them. The thing is, you also can't ask directly. So if the light, if it's dark... Around sunset, starting to get dark. You're like, oh, it's a little dark in here, and you have to have, <laughs> you have to recognize the social cue to mean that, like, oh, turn on the light, um, or it's a little cold, or it's a little hot. Turn on the heat, turn on the air conditioning, um, stuff like that. So I did that for like a short period of time as a kid growing up in, in the like 70s and 80s um, in Brooklyn. Um, but then uh, my mom moved us out to Long Island, to the suburbs of Long Island, Nassau County, uh, Hempstead, to be specific. Um, and that was a total game changer because we were in a solidly, solidly middle class black neighborhood. Um, like our neighbors were nurses. My mom was a nurse. Nurses, like mechanics, um, you know, uh, people who work like middle management jobs and big corporations, stuff like that. Um, doctors and lawyers were like a couple of towns over in, in more fancy schmancy suburbs. The problem I had with Long Island was that, like, the culture and the energy and the density of, 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 of multifarious experiences that I got used to in, in Brooklyn um, wasn't there anymore. Um, you had to drive everywhere to get stuff done. You couldn't walk down to the street, to the park or whatever. You could ride your bikes, but I was, like, slow in learning how to ride a bike. Yeah. Like, it was a different kind of experience and one that I feel like I was ill-equipped for. Um, I went to Catholic school up until college, so I did Catholic school straight on through from like elementary to were high school. You, were you raised Catholic? Yeah, I was raised Catholic. I'm Caribbean, I'm Haitian, so yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a big thing. And I went to an all-boys Catholic school, which was so weird. <laughs> and it was run by an order of um, brothers, which sounds so funny to say, because I wanted to meet black people, <laughs> and it totally wasn't black people. Um, called the Marianists, and they were like, uh, 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 the closest word I can come up with is like a sect of, of Catholic adherents who were all men, but, but kind of venerated Mary in a specific way. That's what, hence, they were called the Marianists. They ran our school. It was an all-boys school. And um, that's where I got like the heaviest dosage of Catholic dogma mm -hmm. ever. Um, like, one of the stories I like to tell is that, like, going down to the cafeteria where we all ate lunch, this was in the 1980s, and um, the abortion debate was, like, hot and heavy and, and, and kind of becoming public-facing in a way, in a really intense way for the first time. And we had pictures of aborted fetuses, like, in, like, a little, like, uh, display case on the way to the cafeteria. So That's like, intense. We're about to go eat. Yeah. And I'm looking at, you know, unfortunate pregnancies that didn't come to full term. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Your message is really driving me home. But one of the things I think has become this 
dynamic about Catholicism is that for people of a certain age, the dogma gets laid on so thick that you run screaming the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot I miss about Catholic mass and services. There's a certain repetition that is comforting. Um, it's a place where, it really is a place, church really was a place for me to like, think about who I was, how I treated other people, how they treated me, um, and how to implement like what I thought the better aspects of my nature were. Um, and you know, if I were to sit around and say, am, am I an atheist? No, I'm not an atheist. But the kind of God I believe in is kind of like the what they used to call the clockmaker God, mm-hmm. um, where like he sets, he built the device, the mechanism, the universe, set it in motion, and then everything else is up to us. It's kind of a distant, aloof idea of God, mm-hmm. and not one that's like really endorsed by like strong adherents of the Catholic faith. But it's one that makes sense to me because. Part of me can't let go of the idea of a, of a higher power, absolutely, but I realize, like, intellectually, I don't need it anymore. Yeah. Um, but if I were to sit here and say, the person who I am, um, who I, I try to be a good person and I try to, to treat people a certain way, I learn to be that kind of person and to treat people in those specific type of ways because of... Catholicism and what I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the golden rule is not necessarily a, a Catholic precept, but it's was one that was heavily buttressed by the things I learned um, in Catholic school about the good, the good Samaritan and stuff like that. Like you treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the church too. Uh, between like it was like a Baptist church, but we weren't Baptists. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Okay. Uh, like I, I still know what like Baptist dogma is. You know, it's just like all right, this is in the Bible, so that's that's what you roll with. Right. 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 And it's weird how, like, one of the things I don't like is this idea that uh, the Bible is this inviolable, like, text that is instructions for modern-day life. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, there's no way that can be. Like, it, it, there are some truisms and a certain amount of universality to, like, human nature and stuff mm-hmm. that are, are informative guideposts. But, like, the Bible is... A bunch of writing that people wrote. Yeah. Um, it's propaganda, and it's it's guidance, and it was written in a way to in response to certain forces that were being arrayed on those early Catholics, like in those early Christians, about like, hey, you're being hunted down, you know. But at the same time, don't hate the people who hate you, you know. Embrace them in God's love, and that's beautiful. But like. And it does apply today, but I feel like so much of what's in the Bible does not apply to the way we live our lives today. And like, it, 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 I think that these kind of hidebound conservative interpretations of the Bible um, me don't do me any good personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know that some of the practices and interpretations of Catholicism and Christianity have grown since I was going to church every week. And learning about it multiple times a week in school, but I don't have the motivation to go back and investigate that stuff. I feel like I got what I needed. Yeah. Um, I have little twinges now that I'm a, a father, like about how best to pass on that stuff. Now my daughter is asking about God all the time, and I try to like answer in these kind of vague, assuring platitudes and whatnot. 
but I don't necessarily want her to go through like the weight of Catholic guilt yeah. that I did <laughs> about like doing bad things or having sinful thoughts or whatever. Like I don't need her to go through all that. I can teach her to be be a good person without all of that. Yeah, so. and even with uh, like just in terms of the inviability of the Bible, like. It's got a patch built in, like that's what the New Testament is, you know? Right, right, they stopped updating it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, because the Old Testament God... He wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. And you know, Jesus came along and was like, he still had his stern, strict, you know, money lenders driving them out of the temple moments, but like, for the most part, he was a more accepting and ultimately human um, yeah. version of... of, of what it means to have a relationship with God. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild thing. And probably, like, as an intellectual challenge, being a father, I'm like, okay, how can I explain this to my daughter in a way that doesn't carry all the guilt and shame and whatever? And I, when she's had questions about that kind of stuff, I've, I've made some valiant attempts. You know, in a weird way, part of me wonders what it would be like if she could go through the exact same things I went through growing yeah. up Catholic and then come to her own decisions about stuff, or at least have me be more involved than my mom was necessarily. Um, but that seems like a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> it's really deep. For both of us. <laughs> uh, one thing I'm jealous of, like every New Yorker I know knows so much about their culture. Like I'm from a small town in Georgia. There was basic, when I was growing up, it was basically you were black, you were white, or you were Mexican. And there were like a couple, um, you know, there was like an airbase, so there were a couple people who were like, were not from the South in my area. But like, that's as far as it went. I know yeah. that my grandmother on my dad's side was like from Mississippi, and like, there's a lot of like culture there. But it wasn't really present. So just the fact that you can say that like, you're Haitian is an amazing thing. But you know, I have, I have the polar opposite jealousy response from um, you guys, what my mom used to call those black Americans. Yeah. Um, because y'all can trace your history, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I could with some doing, but like, you know, once my mom and dad came over, like, you know, I lost access to like whatever historical record keeping there was about their families. We would, they would tell us stuff as yeah. long, you know, I don't hold a lot of stuff, that stuff in my head, unfortunately. Um, they would tell us stuff, but like, you, you know, if you were so motivated, you could go to like, the records of a chamber of commerce, a town hall, or whatever municipal kind of entity, and like look up where your family came from. Mm -hmm. Like I can't. Like you, you stretch back generations here, and I'm like, you know, there may be some some analogous record keeping back in Haiti, but Haiti is also like the kind of country where like, you know, dictatorships like would change. The, the, the functionaries in charge of that shit every so often on whims based on loyalty like you know I, I've never investigated but it, like you know part of being an American born in America who's not an immigrant is like you have your 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 your, your personal history is in the soil it's mm -hmm. in in, a, in on a piece of paper somewhere I you know I can I don't know I remember one time I did a family tree project probably in high school and we could probably go back three or four generations mm -hmm. on my mom's side. My mom raised us. My parents got divorced. Um, and I know my dad's dad. I met him, and that's it. Yeah. You know? like So it feels weird. Like, 
I mean, not to get too highfalutin with it, but like we talk about the Middle Passage and how that erased part of our history. And like for me, that's a lot more recent. You know, yeah. like there was a, another trip across the water that brought my people here <laughs> and left me with a void that I have to think about. But to your point. Yeah. Yes, I heard Haitian Creole growing up like incessantly. And now that I live in Austin in a place where there's not a big Caribbean community, certainly not a, not a big Haitian community, David, I like get choked up if I walk in the subway and hear like two old Haitian ladies like talk to each other Creole. Like, yeah. it's a part of my life that all of a sudden, by nature of physical displacement, I don't have access to any anymore. Anymore, you know. Like, there's a big hurricane that hit Haiti a couple of days ago, like yesterday, and emotionally, like, I'm. Haitian to the core. I feel like I have certain character traits and a certain pride in my history and my blackness that comes from being Haitian. Um, but like my actual lived experience is like has been constantly navigating the gap between um, like growing up in America but having this like super impressive Haitian iconography about us being like the first black free black republic that 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 threw off the yoke of colonialism um but also the modern day reality is like haiti's a a poor um beleaguered country that in a very real way continues to pay a tariff Mm -hmm. on throwing off white supremacy (laughs) i'll never forget i took a caribbean literature class in undergrad um, at NYU, my teacher was this kind of eccentric white guy, but like had a super passion for Caribbean literature. And he said, like, yeah, like, Haiti's still paying. I mean, I think you're still paying France reparations really? from lost income that they would have got if you're still a colony and still had like all that sugar and slave labor money coming in. Yeah. That may have recently stopped, but like, they were paying hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars over the decades back to the to the motherfuckers who enslaved them yeah so it's like we can't win for losing you know <laughs> we're in hurricane alley so like every couple of years some shit comes to fuck with us the you know the country's so impoverished that infrastructure to deal with those kind of things is not a thing so yeah like i have a complicated relationship with with my haitian kind of ancestry like and it's not like a bad thing i feel like I'm so Americanized that it feels like a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) to revisit my roots in that way. Like, I have friends of mine who who are closer to their parents, and, um, you know, we've talked about, our kids are about the same age, like, yeah, you know, how do you get back? How 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 do you give that experience to your kids? And I told my friend, who's also Haitian-American, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back. Like, now I'm an adult and I have all these responsibilities here and whatnot. He's like, you'll go back. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It just, like, notionally, like, the travel, not the logis- actual physical logistics of it, but notionally, like, in my mind, it feels like such a hard way to go. Last time I went back to Haiti was, I was a teenager, like, either my freshman or sophomore year of college. I'll never forget the book I, back to, well, I brought back to read was... 
uh, Selman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses, mm-hmm. and uh, it took me a long while to get into the rhythm of it, but I, when I finally did, I realized it was a brilliant freaking book. I still like Selman Rushdie, um, um, even though like his output is waxing and waning with me. Anyway, I went back to Haiti like in my late teens, and I'll never forget. Like you go, you come back from America, and they think you all have money. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a thinking, you're okay. I ain't got money. And you know, my Crayola is, Crayola is terrible. I'm self conscious about talking to both my relatives and strangers and whatever. And at one point, some random person on the street uh, said, Gade Blanla. That means look at the white, look at, look at, look, blanc means white. Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at the outsider, look at the other, look at the, 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 the dude who doesn't belong. I'm like, well, fuck, you know, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, it's just, you know, yeah. So it's weird. It is what it is. Right. Yeah. So that's, it's very different than you who, like, you grew up around your people. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you're, you're, I imagine your sense of yourself as somebody who grew up in the, in, in, in the American South and, like, has a certain kind of blackness that you lived is, like, you, you have a certain amount of confidence in that. You know, like, I feel like, well, I claim being Haitian, but if somebody tried to like check me on my shit, I might only get but so far, you know. Yeah. And I feel a little bit self-conscious about that. It's funny. I wonder if that's uh, universal or something like it for Black people. Because I go back home and like I don't talk like my little brother. You know, he stayed in the South. Uh, he's been actually he's there right now. Right. He was born in 1990, and mm-hmm. he spent even more time like with his family. And his family was always more country than mine too. Right. So okay, yeah, you yeah. totally don't talk to him. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. But then when um, if I start yelling, I can hear it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though he said yelling, I was like, okay, it's a little bit different. He dropped that G. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a funny thing. I um. Like over the past few years, like obviously, obviously with like the Black Lives Matter stuff and the various uh, police shootings and things like that, but also with me getting into uh, Capoeira and kind of like really studying like the Black experience outside of America, like you realize that it's crazy all over. Yeah, it I'm, is crazy all over. Yes, and we we've probably faced different versions of the same questions. Yeah, in in other places. And yeah. Yeah. Someone said, I don't know if it's true or not, um, but the like 10 million slaves came over. Maybe it was just like a ratio sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, One million went to the U.S. Yeah. The other nine million went to everywhere else on this hemisphere. Right. Right. Which, yeah. I mean, it's funny because you think about Capoeira and you think about Brazil. I think Brazil was like either the number one or number two slaveholding country yeah. for a while there. Like they have they have a, a huge legacy of black culture and black history that, you know, in ways that are similar and different to the U.S., they haven't reckoned with, yeah. you know? And like, they, they kept at it, too, is the other thing. Yes, they did. <laughs> they, the slavery was an institution there for much longer than it was in the United States. And, you know, it's funny. You think about cultures where Afro-Latino cultures where, like, the idea of the exotic, like, Criola, or the Mestiza, like yeah. the woman who's, like, you know who's mixed from, from, from both races and is like this mythological, near mythological figure. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens when you, <laughs> you, when you, when you introduce these kinds of like in, systems and institutions like in, 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 as the law of the land. Like if you tell one, one people are, they're chattel, they're, they're forbidden, they're labor, they're dirty. Like they're still people, you know, somebody's yeah. going to want a taste of that. 
on either side and 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 then you you have these other people who come out out of those 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 joinings and become like the like a third a third yeah. class but also like this this living reckoning of the system that you have built right like what do what the system you've built doesn't necessarily have a place for them. It's like the coloreds in South Africa, right? Yeah. Like, they're like this semi-privileged, but also, like, fringe group who, like, don't necessarily belong from one to another, and they don't necessarily have the white privileges of, of, of Afrikaners in, 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 in South Africa, but they don't have... They're also viewed upon as, like, you know distant by by black folk there because they're like oh okay you know because you're light you're all right like again these these are like established norms in 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 cultures like this but it's funny how like yeah the question of what kind of black are you how black are you how do you live your blackness and other people getting to judge that is a thing i mean everywhere yeah everywhere and it's fascinating. I feel like me and you have collaborated on a lot of things that are kind of about that. Yes. Just online yeah. And yeah. It's funny when it works this way out in pop culture, man. Like, it's yeah. funny. Like, you know, I've been writing about a lot, a lot about Luke Cage, obviously, my beat is comics and pop culture. And I write about blackness and, and, and racial representation and stuff. So I've been writing a lot about lately. And, you know, there's been a certain stripe of response about, like, whether it's like a pull your pants up respectability you know, an artifact of, of, of cultural production. I don't read it like that. I don't view it like that. Um, um, but, like, the fact that we even have these conversations is a, is a result of, like, living in a tiered system where, like, oh, okay, well, if I look or sound the right way, like, the crushing heel <laughs> of, of institutional racism will take it easy on me. Maybe we'll press down only at half pressure, not at full pressure. We're, when we all know that's bullshit, right? Like yeah. The fact that we're still having these conversations is bullshit. You know, like, don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not co-signing respectability politics at all. But, like, I'm like, I feel like reading it into stuff where I think there's a lot more... Like nuance, nu- or? nuanced, or like well-intentioned, anodyne kind of execution at play, mm-hmm. like feels like a stretch to me and like a burden to me. Like you know, now we gotta check to see if people want you to pull your pants up. I'm like, well, don't get me wrong. I don't agree with the pull your pants up respectability, folks. But I'm like, like just because some shit is middle of the road and centrist. Does not necessarily mean it's 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 steeped in respectability politics. Yeah. Um, and like you know, we 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 talked about this in a piece I ran on ninety nine. It's like, it's it's a superhero genre work. It tends to be about maintaining the status quo for certain characters, you know. And it's about like, um 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 um, like, resolving conflict in a way that doesn't upend the system it's happening in, right? And that's yeah. all this is. You know, like Luke Cage fights a fucking, you know, bunch of thugs who say nigga and 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 a, 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 a gun-running crime lord because that's what he does. It's not because he's, he's hating on the hustle <laughs> or alternative 
like like you know ways of living your blackness it's because like they're they're taking advantage of other people and it's fucked up you know like that's what it's about you know like yeah and i don't think that we're i think i'm ready for like a mainstream nat turner type radical type of character right but i think that marvel wouldn't want to go anywhere near that like that's a whole other kettle of fish right they they (laughs) they barely managed to squeeze out six issues of a comic featuring that point of view um that's david walker's nighthawk um for a big big deal like Netflix television show or a movie hell no yeah hell no like you know like let's recognize the players who are moving these pieces around the board like there that that's not going to happen i i would love for it to happen because i feel like that hit like a bomb like it, it would be hit, amazing yeah it would be amazing and also like you know the thing i've been saying ever since i've been writing about pop culture video games or comic books is we just need to get to like a saturation point of representation. Yeah. Like, where we can, like, have a dependable, like, I don't know, like, some some pull-it-out-your-ass number of shows and, and, and movies and whatever that just show black people being black. Yeah. And then we can get into different variations of, like, whatever. Like, I'm not saying you have to do one before the other, but I know it's going to be super hard, like... You know, to get to a place where we're talking about, like, yeah, some radical burn it all down shit, like, for real. Like, if you don't already have some shit that makes, like, the larger systems in Hollywood and whatever feel safe. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not concerned about making them, making them feel safe, but, like, I feel like there needs to be a groundswell. Yeah. Um, um, and, 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 you know, the, the shit about TV that's weird is that it happens in waves and, like, it's so funny with all the shows that are coming out right now. Insecure, Atlanta, we can lump Luke Cage into it. Yeah. Like, all these things are like, it feels like the, like the, the, the early 90s again when like Rock was on TV. 227. 227, Martin. And Parvey's like, well, I've seen this cycle before. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> the shit's going to recede. It's going to go back out like the tide. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to be left high and dry again. But part of me also wants to hope that things have changed enough for like we can get that we can get a foothold and keep that foothold. It's like we can get a UPN and keep it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Like you know, like Oprah has her own network now, and like you know, Ava DuVernay is able to, to executive produce and put out a show like Queen Sugar, like just by virtue of Oprah, be, Oprah being a success, mm-hmm. right? Like and having built up enough political and actual capital to like sustain this ongoing entity as an as a pipeline like so yes that's different you know upn was still you think black people weren't running upn no. um they, they were they were showing up on upn but they weren't yeah. in charge of upn so you know my hope is that as the entertainment industry becomes decentralized it's harder to have these things that speak across different classes and distribution, like, you know, networks, right? Like, it used to be those five networks, four networks, right? Mm-hmm. And we would all watch the same shit. Now it's a lot different. But that gives opportunity to different... I mean, Issa Rae would not have a show if not for YouTube, right? True. She did Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. Um, that was her show, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and now she has some shit on HBO. Don't get me wrong. HBO could be fickle and be like, yeah, time's up. You had your one season, and it didn't do, it didn't do what we wanted it to do. Um, but 
there's every likelihood that she could find another opportunity or make another opportunity for herself. Yeah. Um, um, the HBO cosign, I think, is really real. It's really real. It's really real. But, like, it's also, like, I mean, if and when this runs its course, like, she will arguably be, arguably be better off than HBO. Mm-hmm. HBO is going to still need some black shit to, <laughs> to make themselves seem hot or, or, uh, or current or whatever. Like, she's still going to be Issa Rae. Yeah. Right, like she's still gonna have her own shit, and whatever she learns from that process, she can implement it her her next project. I hope it, I hope Insecure has a long story tenure on that network. But like the idea, I think the times where we would think that we need an HBO more than they need us are kind of over, mm-hmm. and that's maybe me being a little bit more uh, optimistic maybe than I should be. But I, I really do feel like I feel like you know. Like, what black talent brings is, like, it's, it's a known quantity now. Like, mm-hmm. when it executes at a high level. I mean, like, you look at Atlanta, like, I mean, even if you were checking for, 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 for um, Childish Gambino and, and Donald Glover, like, in a really big way, it's still a surprise. Yeah. I feel like everybody I know is talking about that show. Um, and that's not an outcome I could have predicted. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think that says something about like the way he was able to like become a, a, a darling of the internet era, pull back from that, take what he learned on, like in high profile network sitcoms and his recording career and being by his own admission like a black dude that white people like and now I think the brilliant thing about Atlanta is him inverting that he's like yeah those white folk love me but I don't make the blackest <laughs> shit ever yeah I'm making the most blackly black like existential like comedy that's also like country and trap and like Millennial, there's, I, I it's mean, it's a trip. It's almost like he's owning the I'm the guy, I'm the black guy that white people like, but I'm still black. Yes, like he's adding that yes. onto the end yes. of the thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm telling you, one of the things we talk about this a little bit. Like, Atlanta was the kind of show where I thought I was gonna have my middle age reckoning. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is gonna be the cutoff point where I'm too old to get this shit anymore. Like, uh, you know, because I'm not, I'm, a, I'm an East Coast, <laughs> like mid '90s golden era rap head. So, like, I never fucked with, like, T.I. and trap music to begin with, like, that whole lineage. I love cast, but, yeah. like, that, that's about where it stopped for me. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, there's going to be some Southern shit. I'm, I was never into Southern shit, so I won't get that part of it. I won't get the whole, like, millennial, like, just trying to scrape by shit. I mean, I, I can. I was there, but it's different now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I felt that, like this was going to be the show that made me feel like an old man. It doesn't. And I love that about it. And that's purely like an egocentric response. <laughs> like, but I love that. Like, oh yeah, that shit where he took Van out to the fucking uh, uh, spot that was supposed to have oh, the happy hour. $62 date? That yes. was the point where I was like, this is too real. Like, I can't, <laughs> I'm, I'm too touched right now. <laughs> I'm like, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. Um, that was the most relatable thing I'd seen on TV in years, yeah, easily. It, and like, so yeah, I was like, okay, like he's, he's, still touching me. I can still, 
I can still touch this piece of culture and feel like, all right, I connect to the experiences um, um, uh, that young people are having right now. Again, they're not so removed from what I what I went through when I was broke and trying to figure my shit out. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I am largely past that moment. I'm still trying to figure out my shit out in other ways. <laughs> but like, um, not not having to scrape the money together for a date kind of ways. Um, yeah. But like, again, I feel like you only get to that place by like participating in the system owning your own like interactions and dynamics and like and 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 process within that and then synthesizing it into something else that's more you mm-hmm. and i feel like that's the that's the fate that's the thing that faces black people making culture right now like you know i have friends of mine who are novelists who like are mid list and like will never gonna be like fucking amazing, like 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 Jonathan Franzen level like critical and yeah. successful darlings. But like they're like this is what I need to be doing in my life, you know. Like they they want to make money, but like look, uh, uh, I also need to write. I need to write, you know. I need to put out a book out every couple of years. Not because I, it, it it it's like not because of it makes me a shit ton of money because it doesn't. It's because like this is what my calling in life is and like. You've got to navigate, like, your calling with what your responsibilities are. And but James Baldwin has a quote. Um, I forget which book it's from, but he says, like, he wrote about being a Negro because it was a gate that would open doors to let him write about other things, something right. along that lines. Right. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Um, just, like, in terms of, like, me writing about, like, blackness in comic books, for yeah. instance, like, really forced me to up my game and, like, figure out what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's a heavy thing, right? Like, you can... Look, there's a very facile execution of that kind of writing um, that, like, you can coast on, right? But I feel like, is the coasting helping anybody? Yeah. Is it helping you as a writer? No. Like, is it helping the people you're writing for, uh, the reader? No, not necessarily, because, you know, like, it's giving the same kind of, like, palatable, like, easy-to-digest, like, 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 platitudes that we've gotten about blackness for decades and centuries yeah. here, you know? Like, I remember one time, there was a publishing outfit, um, I forget the name of it now, it's going to come back to me in a minute, but they used to do uh, Honey Magazine... And um, Savoy Magazine. It was Klinkscale, Keith Klinkscale's. Um, um, it was a small media company. And I freelanced for Savoy, which is kind of like a public affairs um, magazine, like semi celebrity, but like uh, middle of the road, um, almost like a Harper's Bazaar um, kind of thing. And I wrote an op ed for them. Um, God, this is a long time ago. Why I hate Black History Month. Yeah. And the, the the basic thesis of my piece was like, we get these same, you know, safe understandings of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all these icons trotted out every year, and they become declawed um, and cuddly and used for like corporate messaging, um, like. I don't, that's not what I need out of my black history. Mm-hmm. I need, like, actual messy, you know, like, I need to hear that, like, yeah, maybe Martin Luther King was a philanderer, or maybe, you know, W.E. Du Bois had some weird, uh, kinky sex shit going on, 
Um, is that one for real? That is for real. Oh, I, man. I, I think, I want to say it was him collecting the ejaculate of himself and his peers. Wow. Um, and some pseudoscience shit. I forget, the, again, it's a long time ago. Yeah. I don't remember it, but like, it was stuff like that. And, <laughs> and the point of that is not to like get off on weird shit about, you know, this famous black people from the past. The point is like to know that these people who we credit as being the agents of change in black life throughout the centuries were just as fucked up yeah. and weird and horny as you or I. Like the when the minute you make Martin Luther King into like a, 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 an American saint is you tell people that well you need to be like way way fucking anointed and above average and and perfect to like execute change on on uh, on an institutional level. Like one, the big lie there is is no one person ever does it by themselves, mm-hmm. right? That's one and two. Like, of course, like, he's a fucking human being, you know? Like, he suffered the same temptations and weaknesses and, 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 and triumphs that anybody else does, you know? He just happened to be the right guy in the right place. He yeah. wasn't even that, because a lot of that Southern Baptist, like, like infrastructure was not feeling him to be the guy talking <laughs> about those issues. So, like, you know, the idea that, like, oh, well, he, like, you know, he's this, like, celestial figure... Who who knew how to implement these changes by giving speeches and shit like is not, is not does not serve us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like to your point, like when you write when you engage with blackness in a critical form, like you know even if it is something as like seemingly lightweight as writing about comic books and video games, like you have a choice to make, which is either like okay, do I lob some stones? And hopefully, like rustle some feathers, and 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 reassure my readers that I'm on their side, or whatever. Or do I look like okay, you know, the, the the messy realities of creating this work? You know, like I wrote about black people in video games and representation of video games for like more than ten years, you know, off and on. And I don't believe they're intentionally bad actors in that space. Mm-hmm. That's the easy route. The easy thing would be me to say, like, well, the people who made, like, that fucked up shit in, in, in the last ASX game with the homeless black woman, be like, well, they're racist. Yeah. And, and they suck. That's easy. That's an easy thing to write. The harder thing to write, and that's what I tried to do, was, like, they're pulling on imagery and, 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 and execution that is problematic and... and and, and, and steeped in old stereotypes, and they may not even know it. Mm-hmm. But that's even more fucked up. Because if you don't examine your work in historical context, as you're doing it, and I'm not saying it's easy, it's mm-hmm. fucking hard, especially if you're in the tunnel vision kind of construct of making a video game, a big budget video game, but if you don't do that shit, you're gonna wind up exactly where they did. Mm-hmm. Like, and no, they probably weren't racist, but they weren't diligent. And that. And the, my my diligence that I have to do is somebody writing about this shit is to be like, okay, like, not necessarily frame people as these boo hiss villains, and and think about all right, these human beings have probably made some of the mistakes. Let's talk about the mistakes they made, and and how they can be avoided, or or or, or like, you know, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes, like just because. Um, 
it's not so easy to prove ill intent anymore. Yeah. And a lot of times, like you were saying, it's a lot deeper than that. I worked on um, Resident Evil 5 on the marketing side. Yeah, you told me this. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's clear, like, they they just picked a thing and they ran with it. Um, but the character, uh, Sheva, yeah. like, so I was doing marketing. I was like, all right, we have to do this guy. Like, we have to explain what's going on. I'm going to put, like, actual research into this. And I figured out how to justify, like, her whole situation, which is crazy. And then at the end of the game, you fly to, uh, what is it, the east side of Africa as the sun is setting. And you're flying into the setting sun, and you're just like, all right, you know what, forget it. Like, I tried. This doesn't make any sense. They're getting basic shit wrong. Yeah. Like, there's no way, just geographically, that this would work out. And it's not even just like, oh, like, they didn't care. It's just like they picked an approach and they stuck with it but didn't examine the th- context around it yeah and I, I think you know this i interviewed jun takoichi who was the director of the game yeah way back when when i was a web writing for a website called crispy gamer david i was sweating bullets that whole time because i'm like like there's a part of the thing that i think we don't often talk about when you write about like being a critical voice for for for, for blackness and in, in these other mediums is like it's hard yeah. <laughs> like you have to screw up your courage like to ask these things like you know so I, I remember going in there I was like look you, I just need you to understand that like the way the, this shit that you guys did comes across a certain way yeah. and you're like well we don't know we didn't know I'm like okay but then on the other hand you're like well is your game's based on Africa like what, what is it based on like what understanding of Africa is it well we went to somewhere we went to some countries in Africa where I don't remember I don't know <laughs> So on one hand, you're like you're, tra- you're claiming ignorance. On the other hand, you want some kind of vaguely, like acknowledged research to serve as a bulwark for any criticisms that you might get. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. You can't, and th- and that puts the lie to like any any like shield you may have because it's like you know enough to know people are pissed off. <laughs> so you say, well, we did some research. And this research that we don't remember and can't cite and can't show you makes our shit okay. Yeah. It's like the kid move. Oh, daddy said it was okay. Right. Where's daddy? When did he say it? I don't know. He just, you know, said it. (laughs) I don't have it in writing or shit, but you know, like, it's all good. But that one was one where, like, a lot of readers were like, I'm glad you, you, you asked that question. And it's funny, because the other thing was, a lot of readers were like, yeah, you took it to him. You, like, you nailed him to the wall. I'm like, I was trying to nail him to the wall. I just wanted to get an answer for what his decision was about this thing that made me feel a certain way. That's it. That, that's my job as a critic and a reporter. Like, it's so like, okay, you have a response about something that happens in a medium. If you have the opportunity to talk to a creator about that thing you are responding to, like, something may come out of it that is interesting and, 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 and actionable. And that's my job. You know, like, my buddy Mark Renardin works at the LA Times, and he wrote a piece about um, um, Tim Burton talking about, you know, oh, yeah. Miss Peregrine's having mostly a mostly white cast, despite, again, being a piece of fiction. He's like, oh, it's Victorian, and you know, like, white people, England, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know, you can imagine a different kind of Victorian England experience since you have kids in there who can light themselves on fire and all kinds of weird, <laughs> you know... Fucking 18, like X-Men stuff. Right, X-Men yeah. stuff, you know? Like, you know, and then Mark was getting some responses on Twitter about, like, you know, again, 
doubling down on, on Burton's answer of like, you know, well, white default this, white default that. And people like questioning why Mark would even ask us such a thing. It's like, it's his job. It's his job. You know, like your job is to interrogate the, the, the cultural movers about how they move culture and to shape culture and create culture. Like if you don't do it, and maybe this is me aggrandizing the function of my job, but if you don't do that as a critic, you don't get good shit. Yeah. Like you got to push. You got to push. Like if if creators are sit and are comfortable and like don't think about how their work impacts people of different cultures and walks of life and stuff, like then you get like horrible shit. Like that O'Reilly Factor segment on 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 uh, Asian America in Chinatown that was like mad racist, like old school racist. Yeah. It's like. The guy said it was a joke, by the way. He was like, yeah, yeah I my saw bad. That. It's like, no, dude. Like. Nah, dude. Nah, dude. <laughs> like, like, and whatever, however they're running the enterprise over there, Fox News, is wide enough where that shit went through without a fucking hitch. Yeah. Like, and you know, uh, my thoughts are with whatever person of color, Asian person, who's on staff there and maybe knew about it and tried to say something and got like, or Vito, if such a person exists, yeah. my thoughts are with you. But like, it's just as likely that that person doesn't exist there, and they did whatever the fuck they wanted because they thought you know they could get some other white people to laugh at this shit. But like, gone are the days where stuff like that should go by, like uncommented on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's the main difference. I think that uh, you mentioned the response to your interview was like you really took it to him. Yeah, and I think that's. It's an interesting example of how people see kind of race, culture, and specifically blackness right. in our uh, in our cultural context at the moment. Yeah, one of the dumbest uh, fights or trolling attempts or whatever I ever had was when DC did their Flashpoint event, mm-hmm. and as part of the event, it's like an alternate universe. Um, so like Superman has like scars on his face, and Lois Lane's a freedom fighter. Blah blah blah. And for Africa, it was just like Gorilla Grodd took it over and killed all the humans, and so now Africa is ape controlled. And I was, my entire thing was like, y'all got to get a black friend. Like, please just run this by somebody. Because there's multiple <laughs> ways you can interpret that, and none of them are good. Yeah. And th- there's one dude, you know, he's a fan of, like, very, like, highbrow superhero comics. The, the writers you would name if you wanted to seem smart at, like, a book club reading or something like that. <laughs> and he was just not having it. He was like, how dare you... Uh, it's because this, this, and this. It's not right to cry racism. And I was like, I didn't say racism. I just said get a black friend. Like, yeah, it's it's actually <laughs> you know it's actually worse than racism. Yeah, <laughs> it's worse than the overt like implementation of 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 laws and practices that keep people down. It's worse than that. And the reason it is because it's like if you're a racist. And you're implementing these 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 functions of whatever like system you're, you're you're putting together. You acknowledge that there is a resistance, that there is a humanity that you have to suppress. You have to put that thought you into it, right? You have to put thought <laughs> into it. When you just have when you when you think of a fictional landscape where like yeah, the black people in Africa are just not able to like fucking <laughs> mount a defense against some super intelligence apes. Like and this is in Africa, which. Terrible as it is in the DC universe, has its own superheroes, has like its own fucking humanity that has all the energy and 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 will to live as humanities and other fictions. But in this place, it just wasn't good enough. 
the apes won. The apes who are probably outnumbered like thousands to one. Like yeah. Gorilla City may be home to like super intelligent, super strong, super telepathic fucking simians, <laughs> but there's still maybe 200 of them tops. And also, I think only one of them super smart. Right, that's the thing too. <laughs> right, like Grodd, Grodd has mental powers. Like the rest of them can talk. Yeah. And, and, and probably like stronger and smarter than your average ape. Doesn't mean they're stronger and smarter than your average human. Like, or, or at least superhuman, they can run up. And it, the shit falls apart if you examine it. Yeah. Right? It just it reeked of. We didn't have an idea for this content, but we wanted to make a map for uh, PR purposes. Right, right. Like, fuck off with that shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, and 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 that's one yeah. bad interpretation. The other bad interpretation is, well, the apes were like black people anyway. So yeah. like, if you land there, it's like, well, there's so many levels, and none of them. You could spin like the uh, the wheel of fortune thing. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. It only come away feeling bad. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you know, like I'm sorry, like my thing is, you can do this work. Of critiquing culture in geek spaces, nerd spaces, in, in pop culture. You can do this work in a way where, like, it values black people mm-hmm. and try not to offend anybody and still have people be offended. And it's like, well, really, all I'm trying to do is, like, I'm working towards fuller representations of black humanity in the, the culture I consume. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Like, and I'm not naive enough to believe that shit is a given. Like, I've lived too long and seen too much terrible shit. You know, it's 2016 and we're still getting that terrible Eddie Mur- Murphy fucking trailer for that movie. Oh, the Mr. Church. Yes. Which is by the driving Miss Daisy dude. Yes. Which blew my mind. I thought that guy was just out after. No, uh, he's like, I gotta make right another thing. one of these. I gotta make another one of these. This shit, my last shit was hot. This shit's gonna be more fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, that movie, like, it's 2016. And movies like that are still getting financed and coming out, you know. And people are talking about is Eddie Murphy's like his 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 acting renaissance, his breakthrough performance. I'm like, I know that motherfucker can act, yeah. But like, this ain't it. <laughs> I don't. I really don't want this to be it. Like to be like the great Eddie Murphy acting performance, like where he's 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 in the middle of a fucking you know white savior storyline or or, or 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 whatever subservient black person storyline. Like I don't need it. But, you know, if we don't do this work, shit like that moves through the culture unassailed, uncommented mm-hmm. on. And, like, all the values it espouses get normalized. And, and, and that's, I, I'm not trying to live in that world. I yeah. got a kid. I'm not trying to have her live in that world, you know? She's not aware of this shit yet. She's probably got a couple of years until she's going to be. And my job as a dad will be a lot <laughs> fucking easier if that shit doesn't exist. 100%. Uh, I was actually going to ask you why you write about, like, blackness and culture and your bit about, uh, like, just depicting, like, a spectrum of blackness is on point. It's, you know, like, I mean, when I look at the way I grew up, like, my Jamaican neighbors, Mm -hmm. like, who my mom didn't truck with because she, Haitians, Jamaicans got beef, they don't like each other. They were different than us. Yeah. Still black, but, like, a different kind of blackness. Within my Haitian family, like, and, and relatives and extended family, there were, like, dark-skinned folks who hated the light-skinned folks. Mm-hmm. There were, like, people who, like, were professionals, doctors and lawyers, who, like, 
had their noses up in the air, and they were like, there was just a multiplicity of lived blacknesses that like, I just had access by virtue of existing in that space. And like, we're like a century into film entertainment and the richness of experiences that I know exists as a black person, that surface has barely been scratched. Yeah. And even if I, you know, tick off like amazing movies like um, um, Killer of Sheep, like Moonlight, which is about to come out by Barry Jenkins, um, I know Ease by You, you know, like I could come up with maybe a couple dozen, maybe even of a hundred, like of, of awesome, nuanced, multifaceted cultural productions that I feel like show different facets of blackness. That's still a drop in the bucket when you look at all the other kinds of options and other other entertainments that have been made about non-black people. Yeah. Um, um, and that, like, I can't be satisfied with that. Like, I can't. Like, you know, like, you know, Luke Cage had a, 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 a trans woman uh, um, character, just a little quick um, um, sequence in a flashback, but I'm like, boom, we can check that off now. Not that it's done, yeah. but that's, okay, we can start going down that path now because we've acknowledged the existence of, of, of this kind of a person and somewhere, somewhere, somewhere down the line, and a mainstream entertainment can use this kind of a character and be like, okay, th- these people exist. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't have to ignore them anymore. That's all I want, you know? Like, we, we have, you know, all these nuanced existences that are ripe for, for like, fictional fodder, like, but they don't get touched because the people who, who make creative decisions, like, don't have access to them or don't know or are or, or too, you know, walled off in their own little worlds to, like, want to implement that stuff. I'm like, look, it's, it's better with it than without it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's wild, you know, like, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I've been writing at io9 for a couple of months now. And, you know, I, love, I write about black shit a lot. It's what interests me. And I have free reign to write about what interests me. Um, and, you know, my editors support me. And, and I, I, I tend to get a lot of good reader feedback in general. Um, um, but, like, that's not all I do. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, if, if Marvel kills the Hulk, I'm on it. You know? <laughs> like, ain't no black people involved there. You know? At least not directly, indirectly. Um, but like I'm on it. Like I write about white shit too. I write about non-black <laughs> shit too. I write about mainstream shit too. You know. But like, you know, I'm very aware of like being still one of a few critics that writes about this stuff head on on a regular basis. Um, but at the same time, I've been dealing with this idea of responsibility mm-hmm. um, and how to navigate that. Like, you know. We got three video games coming out this year with black um, lead characters. There's uh, Mafia 3, Watch Dogs 2, and I think Battlefield 1, the main character is a black soldier in, in World War I, um, at least in a single-player campaign. That's what they've been using a lot of the marketing imaging. Yeah. Part of me feels like, well, I was a guy writing for 10-plus years about black people in video games. I need to be on that shit. 
But also, like, do I need to really? Like, you know, we're talking about a potential of anywhere from like 40 to 100 hours of time invested just to come up with a take. Yeah. And I've talked to my former peers at Kotaku. They're like, you don't have to be that guy. You don't got to be that guy. You know, like, you know, feel free to, to, to like take that yoke of responsibility off yourself because like, really, what do you get out of that? Like, you know, when it was my beat, it's one thing, it's my job, but this is it's kind of not my job anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want other people to to write about this stuff. You know, I'd prefer it if some white folks wrote about some <laughs> shit like that. You know, I realize where they may feel trepidatious and, 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 and worried about their place, about um, being able to write about that stuff. But, you know, again, I wrote about dumb, fucked up shit in, 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 in that didn't involve black characters in video games, too. You know, like... Uh, so, so the idea, like, I feel like I have to represent versus I just want to live my life, (laughs) um, can be like a, 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 a tug of war sometimes too. Yeah. I'm very much in a, uh, if the spirit moves sort of situation now. No, that's, that's, that's where I'm at too. Yeah. Like otherwise you just grind yourself down. No. Yeah. It's like, so one of the things, a, a, a precursor to this feeling I've had was, um, months ago, when 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 Marvel was ramping up production for their Iron Fist show, um, you know, uh, and people were like, "Oh, the Iron Fist in this incarnation of 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 the character should be an Asian American character," um, um, and I felt both ways about it. Um, I felt like the easiest way for them to split the difference would be to just cast a half Asian actor mm-hmm. and um, um, and be like make the, the subtext overt <laughs> yeah. and, and, and deal with it that way this is a guy torn between two worlds um, and then when they cast a straight up white dude just like the straight up white dude in, 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 in the comics people were like asking me for my take they wanted to win me to write something about it one presuming they knew what I, where I was going to land yeah. on the issue and two like this I invoking this idea that I had to have like a take and represent a certain point of view, and I was like, I, I don't have it like that. I don't feel it like that for this, you know. Yeah. Like, and that's not because I don't actually care. It's just like picking and choosing my battles and what I invest my energy into. Like, I had to like opt out of that one. Mm-hmm. Like, there was it was just the smartest thing for me right there, and I don't regret it. Uh, I've got two more questions. We're going to go out on a high note. Go ahead. Because we've been super real this entire time. <laughs> Sorry, man. It just happened, too. <laughs> like, I was just going to see where the conversation went, and I went I mean, unfortunately, ways. this is where I'm at. Like, yeah. as much as I say, like, I want some 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 distance from this shit, there is there are back cycles in the back of my head that are always processing this stuff. Yeah. But where do you feel comfortable? Whether physically, mind state, kind of, uh, what's your happy place? Interesting. I like listening to some of my favorite music while in motion, but not while being in charge of the conveyance taking me to a place. Okay. So, again, I'm a New York City cat, born and bred. I like being on a train, going to a place, and reading a book, or writing, or playing a game. Because I like the... 
I'm accomplishing something by going somewhere where I need to be, right? Yeah. So I'm not being lazy. I am working the intellectual muscles that I need by writing or playing a game or reading um, while also doing something else. Um, but I can relax enough where I don't have to think about fucking what the, the car ahead of me is trying to do. Yeah. So that's that's I, well, that's a weird, oddly specific kind of um, idea. But yeah, I like to be on a subway car going to a place where I need to go, um, but reading and listening music um, um, at the same time. Because you're kind of outside of yourself while you do that. Yeah. It's funny because when I read on the subway, um, I don't hear the music. Yeah. But I also kind of do. Um, I am very outside of myself there. I, I, I zone out. I bliss out. I, okay. I can be in my, I mean, I mean, if this conversation is any fucking indication, <laughs> I'm in my own head a lot. And things that take me outside of my own head, um, but also like let my brain um, engage with something are like valued experiences. That's pretty good. And this doesn't have to be a lifetime achievement or anything. No. But what's something that you're proud of? I'm am t- I'm, 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 I'm umming and awing because like one 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 I, my one of my impulses is to name something that I wrote as a very uh, proud achievement of mine. Um, and that's the natural, which I wrote about. Like, uh, it's an essay I wrote about uh, portrayal of black people in video games. But as much as I love that, like, it pales, um, it pales uh, uh, when compared to the experience of being a father. Like, it is mm-hmm. the most challenging, satisfying thing I've ever done. Um, like, my child is this, like. It's like having a piece of like clay that gains sentience and shapes itself and also still needs you to shape it and grows in ways that you can't predict and like like you just you see their neurons neuron pathways fire up and they start to understand things or certain quirks of speech pattern or stuff come out and it's like wow you're like I'm helping make a human being that is in turn also making itself and it's amazing man it's like Mm -hmm. it's it's and and I think I have a great kid who is sweet and loving and funny and generous and smart and like perceptive and you know I just want her to like be the best kind of person she can be. And I, she wants that too. And it sounds a little wishy-washy and maybe like, like a, 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 um, like a, a, a palliative kind of like assurance. But like, I say that by knowing and seeing kids who don't necessarily give a fuck about this. At five years old, <laughs> who are like spoiled or only concerned about themselves or mean and selfish and kind of don't give a fuck about other people. Like those traits come out as early as five years old. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm not seeing that in my daughter. 
and I think unless go things go horribly wrong for me and for her, she's going to be a very kind and generous and smart person. Um, and even at this early stage, I'm not calling the game one yet, <laughs> but like having gotten her to this point feels amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like she, you know, we were talking on FaceTime yesterday and no, two days ago. And I mean, just a little, they're like literally just little tiny grace notes of interaction that like, oh, wait, you, you, you care for other people. Like when I, I, I sent her off to school the other day before I left, she's like, have a nice trip. I'm like, oh, you remember to say that. And before I left, she's like, are you going to have dinner with Steven, my old boss, my friend? Are you going to have dinner with Steven again? She remembered the last time I was out here, I had dinner with Steven. Wow. And, and, you know, she already has a sense that I'm a person who, who like, needs to get checked in with. Like, she knows that I, I like, steer her life, like, in the, in the biggest possible ways, day in, day out. But she also knows that, like, hey, let me throw a little bit of, like, concern and understanding and interest daddy's way. Like, I mean, like, I didn't necessarily grow up with an emotionally demonstrative mom. She was and she wasn't. And she was, she was like, complicated in a lot of ways, which I can't get into. But, like, it, it, the fact that, like, wait... I'm seeing actually nature versus nurture in action. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's coming out in a way that's really gratifying. Like, yeah, that's my biggest achievement. Like, I know it's going to get hard. She's going to be a teenager. She's going to be a 20-something. She's going to be, like, out in the world and in a world that I can't predict and won't necessarily be able to protect her from. But, like, she's a solid little kid right now. <laughs> she really is. And I'm, I'm happy about that. She has a good heart. And and she's not always perfect, but I love I love who she's growing up to be right now. So that's my my, my biggest achievement. That's pretty it's, good. I feel super fucking corny, and all my talking <laughs> is trying to like mask the corniness. But yeah, it's that she's great. <laughs>